good to see you all here, and I'm blessed because I have my nieces here this morning. Two of them are from L.A. My daughter is here. Come on up. A lot of people don't even know you. I know all of you know Val. She's the, the, the one, the media, but this is my other daughter. Before, everybody didn't know Val. Now everybody doesn't know her. And uh, she was our worship leader for several years. And she goes uh, to school down in Los Angeles, and she works with autistic children. And um, so she should be graduating, like, real soon, pretty soon. So, uh, But I'm just blessed to be able to have her. And now we really look like twins. No. <laughs> I, I was thinking, okay, I must have had her when I was, like, 13, huh? No. <laughs> 13 going on 30. But uh, I'm just blessed to just have her here this weekend. Amen. Amen. Well, turn your Bibles to the book of Genesis. For those of you who may not know, we are going through the book of Genesis, scripture by scripture. It's the, for me, the funnest book in the whole Bible. I love knowing what happened right at the beginning because God has not changed. And uh, how he felt about things then, he still feels the same way. We're going to start reading in verse 1. Even though I covered it last week, we're going to just go over it. And we're going to continue reading to verse 13. Amen? Got it? You got your Bibles? Okay. Chapter 3. Chapter 3. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat, God said. You must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. Didn't take too much, huh? Woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and that its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give to her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were open, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves when the cool evening breezes were blowing the man and his wife heard the lord god walking about in the garden so they hid from the lord god among the trees then the lord god called to the man where are you like he didn't know where are you he replied i heard you walking in the garden so i hid i was afraid because i was naked who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me. You, you made him. That's why I ate it. Amen. We're going to close off from there. Go ahead and have a seat this morning. Yep, that's exactly the title of my message this morning, The Blame Game. Last week, we learned about temptation and how the devil still had the same game plan that he had with Eve, he has with Jesus, he has with us. Same game plan, hasn't changed his strategy. He comes with the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. When we find something in the store, you know, women who go shopping, one of the first things that we usually do is we usually look at the price tag. And we look at the price tag, and we look at the outfit, and we're going, mm, I think it looks better on the rack. Because sometimes that price tag is just a little bit too heavy of a price for us to pay. Wouldn't it be great if temptation was like that? We would be able to see that temptation, that guy or that girl walking by, and they had a price tag on there. 
and you would be able to see before you succumb to temptation, are you willing to pay the price? Are you willing to lay down everything that you have gotten so far and you're willing to say, you know what, I think I could afford it. I don't think you can because you don't know what that price sometimes is. Sometimes you feel it so much later. Sometimes you'll see it in your children. Sometimes you'll see it in those closest around you. That price tag is pretty heavy. You lose your reputation. You lose your name. You lose your self-esteem. You lose a lot with just a price tag. It, it may look cute, but leave it on, hanging on the rack. Leave it walking on by because it ain't that cute. When we see through the scriptures that we read, it is that freedom is important to God. That was his plan. When we sing that song, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That's exactly what he created. He created freedom for us. He created it because we're free to live. We're free to give. We're free to love. We're free to worship. And guess what? We're free to sin. We're free. We are free. There, you know, there is nobody bound here. Nobody is bound. You're free. What we are not set free from are the consequences of our choices. The consequences of our choices get us bound. We are responsible for our choices. Responsibility requires character, and character comes through the process of making right choices. I am who I am, and you are who you are today because of choices that you made. You made those choices. Nobody made them for you. You made them. You said, okay, I'll do it. You said, okay, I'll, I'll take that shot. Okay, I'll take that drink. Okay, I'll go with this girl. I'll go with this guy. And then what happens? You wind up with an STD. You wind up hooked. You wind up in jail. You wind up beat up. You wind up with all this stuff because all you did was say, okay, I'll try it. You're here and you are who you are today because of your choices. The life that we live today, God has a plan for us. And your choices are different than my choices. My plan is different than your plan. And so you need to understand that when you come against a choice that you have to make, you better make sure you're making the right choice. God tells us in his word the dangers of making wrong choices. But sometimes that little rebellious streak in us, it's like, they're going to tell me no? Nobody likes to be told no. What is it about us that we hate to be told no? Those two little words, no. We think we know just a little bit more than God. We think we know exactly what's good enough for us. Genesis 4-7 says, sin is lurking at the door, but you must master it. Sin is always going to be there. You're never going to get rid of it. It is always going to be knocking at your door. Somehow, some way, there it is. Everywhere you turn. But if you would let the Lord answer the door, instead of you, I got to see who it is. I just got to know. Some of you live with the inquiring mind. You got to know. You got to see. Man, sometimes, haven't you ever known people who have a certain knock? You know, they're like, and you go, oh, I know who that is. And the other goes, oh, I know who that is. And sometimes you can tell people by a certain knock, right? The devil hasn't changed his game plan. He's got the same knock, the same knock. And you know what's dumb? We think, oh, no, I don't know who it is. I'm going to go check. It's the same knock. You heard it before. You fell for it before. Come on. How many times you got to hear the same knock? How many times you have to keep saying, let me go check? Sometimes you say, you know what? Jesus, go answer the door for me. Can you get the door? I don't want to get up. I don't want to go there. I don't want to follow that temptation. 
See, temptation can serve for good in our life. It really can. Even though temptation doesn't seem to bring anything but pain, it's useful because you know what temptation does? Temptation makes us humble. Boy, does it make us humble. It can cleanse us, it can teach us, and it can grow us. It can really grow us. Temptations reveal who we are. My temptations are different than your temptations. My temptations reveal who I am. I'm not tempted by smoking, not tempted by drinking. That was never my thing. Bible says that we're drawn away through our own lust. I never had a lust for drugs. I never had a lust for alcohol. I never had a lust for a lot of stuff. So none of that stuff appeals to me, but it appeals to some of you. But some of the things that don't appeal to you appeal to me. Because I have a different character that God is trying to build in my life. We all have the same temptations. They're just different. They reveal who you are. What do your, revi- what do your temptations reveal about you this morning? What are you still tempted with? Are you still tempted with the same things that you were tempted with six months ago or a year ago or five years ago or ten years ago? If you're still tempted with that same stuff of five years ago, you haven't grown very much. That's a real clear indication you still got, you're in the baby stage still. Because you should be beyond some of that stuff. When it comes to falling into sin, it's pretty easy to fall. What isn't easy is admitting that we messed up, is admitting that we sinned. When our sins are found out, we're quick to look for a scapegoat, anybody. It wasn't my fault. It was someone or something else that caused me to become involved in that sin. We never want to admit it was me. We never want to raise up our hand and say, okay, I did it. We're like, okay, who else is around here? Who else can I blame it on? We don't want to take responsibility for our sin. It's always someone else's fault. It's a blame game. It happened with Adam. It happened with Eve. And it's still happening today. So what are the first steps in the blame game? The first step is, number one, trying to hide. In verse 8 of chapter 3, it says that they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Those of you who are parents, have you ever had a situation where one of your kids did something that they shouldn't have done? It was wrong. And then they hide. You see cookies all over the the table. You see the crumbs, and you told them, no cookies before dinner. And all of a sudden, you're looking for them, and you can't find them. They're hiding. Sometimes they got all the cookies, and they're all in their mouth. You bust them with their mouth full of cookies or candy or whatever else they weren't supposed to eat. I mean, I don't know how many times I would tell my kids for Christmas, or Easter, or all of those times with the candies, no, you can't have the candies. And I would put them up, and guess what? Somehow, they would find them, especially this one. <laughs> she still has a candy tooth, a sweet tooth. And, and I, I, all of a sudden, I'd go look at the candies, and they would be disappeared. And I would find her with all these wrappers all over. I still do. I don't know what it is that we think we can hide. Now, I'm not sure if kids think that they can hide forever or they just think they can hide until we stop being mad. But ever, whatever it is, not only do our kids hide, but Adam and Eve hid. God came looking for them and they hid. Up to this point, Adam and Eve had enjoyed being in the presence of God. But now all of a sudden, his holiness reveals They're disobedient, and then they hid. Why did they hide? Bible says that they hid. Adam says, I heard you, so I hid because I was afraid I was naked. Why were they afraid? They were naked. Now, these two, Adam and Eve, had been walking around naked 
since they were born. Never even knew the difference until sin came into their life. Since day one, it hadn't bothered them. I think Adam and Eve were overcome with so much shame that they tried to cover themselves physically with fig leaves. And because they couldn't cover themselves so well, it's because it was a spiritual problem, not a physical problem. They were trying to cover themselves spiritually because they were ashamed of their sin. Have you ever noticed little kids, they have no fear of running around naked? They don't. Little, I'm not talking little ones, like a year old, two years old. You know, you take them a bath, you get them out, you try to dry them off, and then, shoom, they're gone. And they're running through the house, and you're chasing them, and, and then they think it's the funnest thing. They're happy, they're clean, and they're laughing. We all, we all know that? When they're little, they don't have any fears. They have none. But you go chasing after them and you're mad at them because they don't come. But then there comes a time when their innocence disappears and they feel that need to cover up. Have you ever been so ashamed in the presence of God because of disobedience in your life? Maybe it's come during your own quiet time. Maybe it's come even here during church service, during a worship time. Or maybe during a fellowship, you feel like everybody's in the spirit and you're just all alone. At one time, Adam and Eve were naked, and the Bible says, unashamed. I looked up the word naked. And what I got from this is that it means to be open. When you're naked, everything is open. God wants us to be open with him to be honest, to be sincere, to be real, to be transparent before him. Sometimes we get mad at God. I don't know about you, but I've been mad at God before. Now, some of you may not even want to admit that you're mad at God, but hello, you're mad at God because things didn't turn out the way you wanted because somebody else got that guy or that girl. Because somebody else bought that house that you wanted. Because you don't have the money for that car. Something didn't turn out the way you wanted. I got mad at God when my husband died. I was mad. I wasn't mad in the beginning. I was like, no, this is, you know, I, I kind of like zoned through, numbed out. But once all my feelings came back, I was like, man, this is a rotten deal I got. And I was mad. But I was open and transparent with God, open enough to tell God, you know what, I'm mad. I'm mad because my husband is gone. Some of you were having problems this morning with your health, with your marriages, with your children. You get mad. But you try to come to church and be all holy. And you raise your hands and, how's everything going? Oh, fine. And you're so upset with the way things are going in your life. You're mad. Why don't you just admit that you're upset? I think God could handle it. I really do. I think he could handle it. I don't think you're the first one to be mad at him. But I think it's sad that you're not transparent before him. We shouldn't have anything to hide from God. We should be able to tell him anything because guess what? He already knows. We shouldn't feel wrong about coming to God even when we're mad, even when we're angry. We should be able to express it. Naked also means to be unarmed and defenseless, or that means to let your guard down. You know, I hear people when they pray, you know, when we get in a group uh, all together, and they say, brother, sister, why don't you pray? And they pray this, you know, big old, holy father, you're great, you are so merciful. It's like, come on down, come down. Just talk normal. You can always tell when someone's not talking to God, when they have to keep saying his name so much. Father God, we pray, Father God, that right now, Father God, you would bless, Father God. I know that's going to hit some of you really hard. 
so sorry. But the reality of it is, this is the reality. When you have to pray, Father God, right now, Father God, I pray right now, Father God. What you're, what you're doing is you're not praying to someone, you're praying for people. Because if you were praying to someone, if I was talking to Lenny, I wouldn't say, Lenny, I, Lenny, you know, I want you, Lenny, because I, Lenny, and I wouldn't keep saying his name. He already knows I'm talking to him. <laughs> I don't need to keep getting his attention. I just grab his attention right at the beginning, and then I talk. So if we're having prayer, which is conversation with God, why do we have to keep saying his name? I think he knows who he is. I offended you? So sorry. <laughs> but you know what it's going to do? Is it's going to make you conscious of what you're doing. It's going to make you conscious of what you're saying. That you're not talking to people. You're talking to him. Every, you, you know, you just happen to be here. You just happen to just be a part of what I'm saying. When I pray, I'm not talking for you. In fact, when I pray, I don't even know you're here. I totally block you out. Sad, but I do. I block you out because I'm not praying to you. I'm praying to him. And that means I'm conversating with him. So when I pray, it's like me, me and him. And, and I try to talk as normal as possible. I try to talk as down to earth as possible because that's how I talk. I don't try to use these big old words with God. I don't try to impress him. He doesn't need my impressing. He just needs to be real. Me, he needs me to be real. Some of us are afraid to say what we need to say, thinking because if we say the wrong thing, God won't hear us. You can never say the wrong thing to God. Never. Some of you say, I don't know how to pray. Well, some of you sure know how to talk. <laughs> and if you know how to talk, you know how to pray. <laughs> it's the same thing. It is no different. Some of you think, well, if I go pray, I have to use different words. No, 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 no. Use the same words you always use. Well, maybe not all the words, okay? <laughs> maybe not all your words. I, th I think he'll understand a little bit of your slang, but, you know, you can't use, like, everything. But my point is, prayer is conversation. It's just talking to God. God desires for us to be open and discovered to be unarmed, our guards down when we are in his presence. And covering up our sin may hide it from people, but it will never hide it from him. What did they try to hide their sin with? They tried to hide their sin with fig leaves. And I was trying to think, why would they try to hide their sin with fig leaves? I think because that was the first thing that they saw. It probably was like, okay, what can we do? What's big enough around here? I mean, they didn't have, you know, they hadn't even thought of shearing a sheep yet and making cotton. They hadn't thought of anything. So they looked and they probably saw these big old trees with huge leaves. And somehow, ingenious, they tried to put some fig leaves together. They looked for the closest thing around them. What's the closest thing around you? that you use to hide? Your family? Your spouse? Your children? Your job? Sometimes when we are trying to hide, we use the closest thing to us to hide. Some of you are hiding behind your job. Some of you are hiding behind your children. Now, I can tell you, that people hide behind their children because guess what? I hid behind my children. I remember raising my children up, and they were they were very they were small. And I had Steph and Val a year apart, and it was hard being a pastor's wife, being over the youth, being over the worship. You know, I played the piano. I know it's a hidden talent, really <laughs> hidden. But I did all of that, and and in raising my children, and it was not easy. So. There came a point in my life when they were little that I was getting tired. I was just tired. I knew every time I would come to church, I was going to have somebody who was going to need 
counseling or who was going to need a pep talk or who was going to need something. And when I didn't have it in me, when I was emotionally and spiritually drained, guess what? I hid behind my children. You know how I did that? See, I'm, I'm, I'm just exposing everything now. When they were little, if in the morning some of them went, ah, shoot, uh, they're getting a cold, I got to stay home. I got to take care of my kids. They're my priority. And a lot of women hide behind their children. It's you. It's you. It's not your kids. It's you. Spiritually and emotionally, you're not there. So it's easy to hide behind. You know why? Because it's the closest thing to you. That's what we hide behind. Oh, my job didn't let me off. Did you ask? No. We hide behind the closest thing to us. The other thing that they hid behind were trees. Now, trees are the good things that we do. Because, see, God told them to take care of the garden. So they hid behind what they were doing good. They hid behind that. They were supposed to take care of the garden, and now they're hiding behind it. How many of you are hiding behind your ministry? You're not where you should be spiritually. You're not doing what you're supposed to do. But on the outside, it looks like you are. On the outside, you got it all together. But on the inside, you know where you're at. You're hiding behind the good things God told you to do. When we sin, we try to hide behind our own fig leaves and our own trees. And our excuses are really sad, too, because we, we say dumb things like, well, the devil made me do it, or my parents didn't raise me right, or my friends put peer pressure on me, or everybody else is doing it, or it's not my gossiping, it's what they did. We're so much like Adam and Eve when we sin because we always want to hide. We don't want to be around God, and we don't even want to be around his children. When we're not doing good spiritually, guess what we do? We hide from church. We skip church. We don't want to be around other people who are in the spirit. We want to stay away. Or else we come and we just put on this whole facade like, hey, I'm doing so well. Oh, my gosh. God is blessing. And you are the biggest liar. Because you know it ain't happening. We feel ashamed and we hide. If we could only see the fig leaf in your life. If we could only see that tree that is blocking you. But God sees it. We try to hide by sowing our own fig leaves of guilt, fear, embarrassment, blame, and shame. We try to do things on our own, taking control of our life and our world. What happened to Adam and Eve happens to us when we run from God. Before they sinned, they had never experienced guilt. But like them, when we have the tendency to hide from God, that's what we experience. Guilt, shame, frustration, embarrassment. Paul wrote in Romans 121, for though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became nonsense and their senseless minds were darkened. Some of you know God. You know him. But you don't trust him. You know him. But you don't follow him. You know him. But you hide from him. When we're left out on our own, apart from God, our feelings, our desires, our strong wills, and rebellious thoughts begin to take over. God's presence in our life can be resisted. You could stop the Holy Spirit from moving in your life. You really can. You have that much power to turn the Holy Spirit off. You do it every time somebody comes behind this pulpit when you don't like what's being said. Offering time comes up, turn it off. And all you hear is wah, 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 wah. And here Aniva's going to the word. He's got a three-point message on how to pick up the offering.
Just a joke. Private joke. But, but uh, you don't hear that because you've already turned them off. Pastor Adam comes up here and tries to give the announcements. You're turned off. And then you appear to be listening, but in your mind, you're a million miles away. You're not even here. Come back. Come on back. Because we can resist the spirit of God in our life. Secondly, in the blame game, we don't admit that we sinned. They wouldn't admit it. Even though they did what was wrong and they knew it, they refused to accept responsibility for what they did. Adam said, yes, but, but. And I have to tell you, that sounds so familiar to me. Because there have been times in my life when I have been confronted about something, and I go, yeah, but. I always want to make an excuse for why I did what I did or why I said what I said. I wonder how many times you've heard yourself say, yeah, but. This is what I've learned about that little word. When I'm listening to someone talk to me, and they'll tell me, yeah, I want to go to church, but. And then they give the explanation. I didn't even hear what they said over here. This, that little word but nullifies that whole beginning sentence. Because after that word but, that's the real reason. I really want to go to church tonight to the unity service, but I don't have a ride. Well, what if I get you a ride? Well, but, you know, I have to start work so early in the morning. Well, what about if you come home right after the service? Well, but, you know... I have to go wash my clothes or I have to go iron. Or it's like, come on, give me a break. But just nullifies that I want to. No, you don't. Because the real reason is you're not disciplined enough to prepare for Monday on Saturday. That's the real reason. I really want to. I really want to help you, but I don't even hear that I really want to help you because after that comes the real reason. Someone said, if you can smile when things go wrong, you must have someone in mind to blame. Think about that. You must have somebody that you're blaming. Genesis verse ele uh, 3, 11 and 12 says, Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God said, Have you eaten the fruit that I commanded you not to eat? Yes, but it was the woman you gave me who brought me the fruit, and I ate it. How often in our lives do we look to blame others for our behavior and our failures? It was because of my parents, the way they raised me. It was because of my teacher. It was because of my friends. They're the ones that led me astray. There's a motivational speaker called Dr. Robert Anthony, and I love this quote. He says, when you blame others, you give up the power to change. When you blame others, you give up the power to change. See, we don't need to change if, with someone else, if it's someone else's fault. It's not my fault. We can keep doing what we're doing because it's not my fault. God asked Adam a direct question. Did you eat of the tree? And immediately, instead of Adam saying, it was me, he says, yeah, but the woman you gave me, it's her fault. You actually, it's the woman and then it's you. It's your fault because she gave it to me, but you gave me her. How many times have we blamed our spouses on God? Well, God, I know that this is my spouse, but they're driving me crazy. But actually, you gave him to me. You gave her to me. So actually, it's your fault. Adam tried to shift the blame for his sin in two directions. First it was the woman, then it's God. The whole point of Adam's argument was, God, it's not my fault. It, I'm re really not to blame here. It's not me. Nothing in this life comes without a consequence. Absolutely nothing. Galatians 6, 7, and 8 says, Do not be deceived. God 
will not be mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will also reap corruption in the flesh. But he who sows to the spirit will reap the spirit of everlasting life. I have tried to raise my children telling them there's a consequence for every decision they make. I drum that into their head pretty much most of their life. For every decision you make, there is going to be a consequence. It could be a good one or it could be a bad one, but it's your decision. Whatever you do, that's the reaping and sowing. What do we say when we try to find somebody else to blame? There are people who say, well, that's just the way I am. Have you ever heard somebody say, that's just the way I am? You have a violent temper. Everybody else around you is scared of you. Your kids, your work, your co-workers, everybody is suffering from, from your verbal abuse. You have hurt people constantly around you. And then you use the excuse, well, that's just the way I am. It's not my fault. That's the way I was raised. My father blew up. My mother blew up. So guess what? I blow up. We don't want to take responsibility for our actions. Sometimes we even use that excuse of that's just the way I am when we're quiet about things. There are people who have violent tempers, and then there are people who are really, really moody. And they don't want to say nothing. And they're mad on the inside. But in their head, all they do is, the Spanish word, make bucheros, like they're upset, they're mad. They stick out their lower lip and they have that hurt look on their face. And inside you're thinking, I'm going to show them, I'm not going to talk to them for three weeks. Let me see what happens. So you sit around and you hope that someone will notice that you aren't saying anything. And then when you do give your excuse, it's because, well, I can't help it. I was born that way. That's just the way I am. That's my personality. Don't blame me. Blame God. God gave it. God gave me this personality, and now you just have to accept me just the way I am. We blame others by saying it's somebody else's fault. We try to cover up our past by saying, if you knew my family, if you knew my testimony, if you really knew what I had to go through, you would understand why I am the way I am. You would understand why I behave the way I behave. And I'm sorry to tell you this morning, you are responsible for your own actions. See, that's one of my concerns about secular counseling. I'm not saying it's bad. So there are many peop people that I have actually referred to counseling. But sometimes you may go to a counselor and all they want to do is uncover or blame someone from your past. Blame your mother. Blame your father. Blame your grandfather. Blame your great-great-grandfather. Now, I realize that it's important that we understand our relationship with our parents and our brothers and sisters. But too many times we just cast the blame on other people. And it's saying, well, they're the, they're the responsible party for why I am so weak. They're the responsible party for all the bad decisions that I make in my life. And I think it's time we grow up and take responsibility of our own stuff. The Bible doesn't allow us to give that kind of excuse. It tells us we are responsible for our own actions. It's not the people around you. It's you. Some people say, well, I know it's wrong to drink, but everybody else is doing it. The crowd I run with, that's what they do to socialize. And if they would quit, I would quit. Or I know I shouldn't flirt, but the crowd I hang with always flirts. We always try to blame someone else for our situation. I remember watching CSI, and there was a program where there were young adults that were going to the University of Las Vegas, and they got on a crime spree of robbing, beating up, and eventually killing homeless people. These were young men and women who had bright futures. Most of them could have gone on to have a career, but instead they got bored. And they started to beat up and kill homeless people. And after they had been caught, the leader said, we did this to ourselves. No one made us do it. We can't blame anyone but ourselves. We've just experienced the worst 
killing spree on a college campus this past week. 32 young people dead. They showed an autobiographical movie that the killer made and that I watched. And in the beginning of this autobiographical movie, he seemed pretty normal. He was even smiling. But as time went on, his face changed, his mood changed, and you began to see a totally different person take place right in front of you. And in this movie that he made, he lays blame on what is going to take place on other people. He said, it's your fault. You brought this on. You made me do it. You, you, you. And you know the sad part about it is that there are many people who are looking into his background right now, and there are some people who are actually feeling sorry for him. Some people say, poor baby. He shot down 32 people with a submachine gun, and then he killed himself. But you got to remember, he came from a poor socioeconomic background. He was a victim of a callous society. He felt the pain of deprivation from a materialistic time. He suffered from mental illness, so it wasn't his fault. From watching the news, I see how everyone is trying to find someone to blame. That's why we have so many lawsuits. It's your fault that I fell. It's your fault that I burned myself. It's your fault. We're always trying to lay blame for our misfortune on someone else. Where did it start? Back with Adam and Eve. This is what people believe, that when we are compelled to do something out of ourselves, we're, we're, we have no power, we have no ability to have any kind of influence. Either the devil makes us do it or someone else makes us do it, but it's not us. So we can't be blamed. I want to let you know something. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that there is no temptation that comes into your life that is any different from what others experience. And God is faithful to keep that temptation from becoming so strong that you cannot stand up against it. Because when you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you will not have to give in. The Bible never says we won't be tempted, but he says we don't have to give in. All Adam and Eve had to do was yell. All they had to do was be able to say help, and God would have been there. We have to come to that place where we take responsibility for ourselves. We take responsibility because the Bible says that that's what we're supposed to do. Now that's, you can call that bad news or you can call that responsible news. But the good news is, is that the Bible also says that Jesus Christ loved and died just for you. And that his blood will cover all of your sin. The first step in being covered by the blood of Jesus is to accept responsibility for our actions. I know I have a family member that I remember my husband leading to the Lord. And as my husband was leading her to the Lord, in the sinner's prayer, he would say, and I confess that I'm a sinner. And I remember she said, I confess that I'm a what? And he goes, a sinner. She goes, I'm not a sinner. He goes, yeah, you are. No, I'm not. I said, well, okay, we can't even get through the sinner's prayer because you won't even admit that you're a sinner. That's how some of us are. We don't want to admit, but I want to let you know that if you accept responsibility for your actions, then God says that he is faithful and just to forgive all of your sin and remove all unrighteousness. But that's the beginning. We have to admit that we are sinners. We have to admit that we need him. We have to stop blaming somebody else for our decisions. The consequences for Adam and Eve were spiritual death, and it's the same thing that happens today. The only thing that can bridge us from sin to life is the cross of Christ. So I want to ask you this morning, who are you blaming for your life? Everyone but yourself? When you blame others, like that quote said, you give up the power to change. What do your temptations say about you this morning? Have you grown or are you still being tempted with old stuff? 
We need to be accountable for our sins. And we need to ask God to forgive us. Stand with me this morning. The blame game. As every head is bowed and every eye closed, I really want you to think this morning of where you're at in your life. Have you blamed other people for where you're at? Are you still blaming people for your decisions? You are where you are today because of you. It's not your mother, not your father, not your sister, not your brother, not your cousin, not your aunt, not your teachers. You. And before I make an altar call for the church, if there's anyone here that you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, that you have not yet asked him to forgive you of your sins, and you're willing to take responsibility for your life. You're willing to take responsibility for who you are today. And you're willing to say, Lord, I need you to come into my life. I need you to change me. This is for those of you who have never accepted Christ before. I know there's a tendency sometimes when you're in the home, you, you keep on. And you don't need to keep on accepting Christ. Once is enough. And then you just keep on walking. But for those of you who have never accepted Christ, if you want to raise your hand, I would like to lead you to the Lord this morning. Is anybody here that you say, I, I need Christ in my life. I want to take responsibility for all of my actions. God bless you back there. I want to be able to be led. Anita, can you turn around and just lead her to the Lord this morning? Hallelujah. Michelle, there's another one right in back of you, Anita. For everyone else, and you're saying, you know, I'm ready to stop blaming anybody but myself. I'm ready to let God have his way in my life. My temptations are still the same. I need to change. I need to be responsible and not be like Adam and not be like Eve and not blame anybody else but myself. I need to stop using that word, but, in my life. And if that's you this morning, I'm going to open up the altars for you to come take responsibility before God for who you are this morning. I will bless the Lord forever and I will trust him
altar, I want you to repeat this prayer after me. Say, Jesus, I accept my responsibility for my actions. I know that I have tried to hide, that I have tried to run, that I've tried to cover up with all kinds of excuses. But today, I'm letting go of every excuse that has caused me to run and try to hide. I admit that I need to change. No one else, just me. I take responsibility. I admit I have sinned and I need your love. I need your grace. I need your mercy to wash me, cleanse me, make me white as snow. Keep me, Lord, in your will. Don't let me get far from you. Don't let me try to hide behind anything or anyone that would conceal me for every person here at the altar this morning. Lord, you know the things that they have been trying to hide behind. You know the things that they have used as excuses. But today, Lord, they have come because they want to make a change. They want to be able to admit that it's not anyone. It's not their parents. It's not their teachers. It's not the influence of friends. It's no one. It's them. They have made decisions that have caused them to be at this particular point in their life. And Lord, I pray that you would make that change in their mind, in their heart, and in their spirit. That no longer would we be like Adam and Eve trying to run from your presence. But Lord, that we would run to your presence. That we would be like that prisoner that has been set free. Lord, I pray that you would just move in every person's life. Take away every excuse. Take away every but in their life. Cause them, Lord, to be real, to be honest, be, to be transparent with you. Not fake, not hiding, but real. Change us, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. I will not be